Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Media Beat, episode 23. I'm your host, Oliver Turnbull, and with me, as ever, are two of the most informed people in the world of media. Uh, First up, we have Maureen Kerr, uh, and Maureen heads up the media practice globally at Arthur D. Little, the world's oldest management consultancy. Hello to you, Maureen. Hello, Oliver. And we have Claire Tavernier, and uh, Claire and Maureen have worked together and known each other for years and years and years professionally, and I suspect they have a social life together as well. Uh, Claire has worked in a a, a variety of uh, high-profile media roles. She's a media commentator and a consultant as well. And as ever, it is wonderful to welcome you, Claire. Hello, Claire. Hi, Oliver. Is this this you angling to be invited to our social events? Because of course you (laughs) don't. Oh, well, yes, I'm never averse to uh, a couple of glasses of wine. Um, But uh, yes, so this is a story that's going to run and run. So for our avid listeners, we'll let you know whether they actually um, come good on that offer. Uh, Uh, But that will be wonderful. So um, uh, as they say, uh, in the world of two Ronnies, uh, for those of you old enough to remember the two Ronnies, we have a packed program tonight. Um, There's a couple of major topics we want to talk about. Of course, we can't really be a media podcast without talking about TikTok and the US and the Chinese government and all the machinations there in. And also we're going to be doing uh, what they call a deep dive, don't they, these days? You've got to say a deep dive. You've got to have a deep dive, haven't you, on a podcast? Uh, And we're going to be having a look in some detail at um, retail media um, as well. What is it, why it's important, and what's going to happen with it in the future, perhaps? We have our regular in the news feature and, of course, the ever popular lightning fast round um, which is which is gaining uh, a lot of fans out there on the internet so without further ado let's let's start let's we've got to start with tiktok really so uh maureen maybe uh, we could start with just a quick summary of what is going on and why people are paranoid about uh, um what can be um data that can be stolen from people's tiktoks etc uh, and why this is becoming um actually quite a major issue maureen so Oliver, um, TikTok is on the lips <clears throat> of every uh, every person uh, in China, every person in the US, and every person in Europe. Um, the Biden administration has just um, issued an ultimatum uh, to ByteDance, the parent company of TikTok, uh, to sell uh, uh, or to split up and to sell TikTok. So it lessens its dominance uh, globally. And as we know, two out of three teenagers uh, are on the TikTok platform. Um, this is causing much uh, concern, not only uh, with the teenagers themselves and uh, with the populace at large uh, on the platform, because they believe it's unfair. Um, and that's probably the right thing. Um, the idea that uh, the US government can unilaterally just simply uh, ask a uh, an international global company to leave its shores is just not uh, just not feasible. Um, ByteDance is actually owned um, by global international investors uh, to the tune of about sixty percent of that, that company, and also the employees own twenty percent. So, uh, for the Biden administration just to simply um, uh, suggest that it can uh, stop. Uh, TikTok from operating as it is in its current form is really nonsensical. Um, And I believe that that's the case uh, uh, across uh, international waters. Um, But what TikTok is trying to do and did try to do, and certainly in reaction to the Trump administration, was to put in place 
um, a, a commercial arrangement with um, Oracle, um, I believe it was Oracle, um, which cost it something to the tune of 1.5 billion. It was called Project Texas. And effectively what it did was to ring fence all of the US data um, to really help the government realize that that data isn't going anywhere and it stops at the shores of the US. So in no way uh, is a Chinese government, you know, peeping in and looking at uh, uh, any privacy data, any any data whatsoever. Um, so so it's, it's interesting to see that uh, uh, the uh, TikTok team have not been able to uh, prove or indeed show um, the US Congress uh, that it, it is protecting the data. So they basically said, no, don't believe you. Uh, you have failed to assuage our concerns. Uh, and therefore, we still believe this ultimatum uh, should stand. Um, I think TikTok's response to this um, has, uh, has been clever. Uh, I don't know if anyone else has seen, but um, there is a, a small app called Lemon 8 that has just uh, appeared uh, in both the UK and the US after a couple of years of being uh, only geolocated, let's say geo-blocked in, in, in Japan and, and Asia more, more broadly. And it's weird to see that uh, all of a sudden there is now a big push for Lemon 8 uh, in both the UK and the US. So it's, it's amazing um, to see just a sheer number of downloads, uh, eight, 16 million downloads uh, so far. Uh, it is a retail, social, um, commerce platform, um, and one, one, one pos possibly, you know, can see this as being the alternative, uh, the alternative TikTok. So little TikTok, it could well be, and it's 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 impressive in terms of how um, so many people now have joined this particular app, um, and as I say, it could well be, you know, the the best response um, to what looks like a unilateral. Um, heavy-handed US government forcing TikTok to, to split up. Um, so we'll see, um, but, uh, but fascinating. Um, the response to Lemon 8 is it looks like, sounds like, behaves like a, uh, a Pinterest and a, um, and a TikTok. Uh, so I'm, I'm calling it the little TikTok, but it's, uh, it looks like a phenomenal um, piece of, uh, ing well, ingenious um, uh, piece of kit. And um, a good response, I think, to to what is, as I say, um, slightly political heavy handedness from the US government. Were you talking about 2.4 billion views of the hashtag Lemonade on TikTok as well? Indeed, indeed. So, so far, uh, and and this was this is launched in uh, February. So February, March, it has already received 2.4 billion uh, views. Um, that is hashtag Lemon8 on TikTok. So uh, a lot of people are actually now reposting their uh, TikTok um, videos on Lemon 8. So we're seeing a nice, smooth transition across into Lemon 8. Uh, phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Yes, I, I have my doubts about Lemon 8. I think it's very easy for ByteDance to create as many billion views in preference on TikTok as they want. Uh, if that serves their purpose, because the way TikTok works is that it serves you videos without letting you really choose what you're looking for. So it, what would be more interesting than, than views of hashtag Lemonade would be searches for Lemonade, which we don't have the data. I also will see about Lemonade. I think we've seen a lot of the social media 
got coming in out and not sustain. Um, I have downloaded it and looked at it, and most of the content on it right now, it's, it comes from other networks. So it's either, as you were saying, people reposting TikTok videos, or it's people reposting Instagram or Pinterest content. Doesn't mean it won't work. It certainly is occupying a very nice corner of the visual uh, social retail market, but whether it will in fact uh, replace TikTok, I think it remains to be seen. TikTok is in a tricky situation in the US because there there are very there's very little upside for either of the political parties to not ban TikTok. And in fact, there's quite considerable downside to doing this. So the Democrats will go into the elections. They don't want to be seen to be soft on China. They don't want to be seen to be soft on content, you know, inappropriate content for young people. And and forcing TikTok to close down is a very neat shortcut to all of these things, even if it's not justified. And if they do it, then they can't be accused of not doing it. They will never, it will not have a negative impact on them if they do it. It will have potentially a negative impact on, on them if they don't. Um, all of the arguments that TikTok has put together are very compelling. And I think perhaps even the strongest one is, is the idea that it's actually, as you said, it's 60% owned by, by, in fact, American VC companies. And then the, it's only 20% owned now by, by the, US, the Chinese government. None of this means that the Chinese government doesn't have access to data. Other countries have taken a slightly less direct approach. France, for instance, has banned TikTok on official phones. So phones from, you know, delivered to French officials from their administrations. They're not allowed to have TikTok on it, but that's, that's not the only app that was banned. They haven't at all given a mandate for personal phones. They're just telling people to be vigilant and read the terms and conditions as if anybody was ever going to do that. Uh, but I think more importantly for TikTok and, and potentially much more damagingly for the long term is that this constant negative narrative coming from the US and the threat of being banned means that advertisers, which, uh, as you remember, were flocking to TikTok, are starting to wonder whether they should really invest if it might be banned. And so they're looking at, at alternatives. So the, the damage damage in the in the long term for TikTok maybe to be banned in the U in the US, the damage in the short to medium term is going to be on, I suspect, on advertising revenues. And and, and what I what I find difficult here is as well as if it if it is something to do with, you know, uh this backlash against against China and there is definitely this sort of, you know, the Cold War has set in again. Um, why aren't we looking at all other government controlled uh, platforms like the TV network, CCTV, or other, um, uh, you know, government-owned platforms like Al Jazeera. You know, why, if they're so concerned about international and foreign governments, yeah, why aren't they taking steps to at least control or, or push out, you know, those, in particular CC China uh, TV? Why not? I mean, that is... Oh, of course, as we all know, a propaganda-based uh, TV uh, network. It just—I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to understand the paranoia of the US with regard to TikTok, unless it's potentially commercial. Well, yeah, I mean, I—I—I I, I, I think the paranoia displays, but I think the dif the difference in in these things is that the 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 the, the, the 
the paranoia around TikTok is that they are sending data back to China. It's not about China you know, sending information to us and making us believe things we don't want to believe. It's that the, 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 the Chinese government is getting access to phones and potentially data on those phones and potentially using phones as listening devices or recording devices. I mean, those are all things that are technically possible. TikTok has put up a very strong case that they are not doing it. And, you know, yeah, I don't, don't have any data to not believe them, but it is possible that an app on your phone starts recording what you say or filming something without telling you, etc. This is That's essentially why I think, for instance, the French government is, has decided not to have TikTok on, on official phones. Is That is the risk, is that it's used as, as a data gathering information gathering uh, tool for, for Chinese intelligence, which is slightly different than propaganda tools. Yeah. Does it work the other way around then? Yeah. Do, the, do the Chinese government worry about Meta? Uh, does the Chinese government worry well, about... Well, yeah, YouTube. I mean, that's also part of this is retaliation. You, a lot of the US social networks are banned in China. Facebook, Google and Twitter. Facebook, Google and Twitter are all banned in China. Right. So that answers YouTube, that question. Yeah, Google will be YouTube. And maybe and, and Google, YouTube, indeed. Yeah. Ironic, isn't it, that the internet has led to this... Um, um, the internet has led to this sort of uh, uh, putting a, a wall around certain large geographical areas. But uh, yeah, sorry, Maureen, you were going to say. Yeah, I think uh, the alternative here is is, is one, uh, Claire, that you've alluded to, which is uh, a different approach to monitoring uh, the use of uh, social media platforms in France and the UK have taken a more pragmatic approach. But uh, it, it, it is interesting that um, they, the US government will get themselves into trouble uh, just just by dint of, you know, a breach of the First Amendment. You know, there's a First Amendment challenge that they will face if they, you know, prevent people from uh, using uh, the, uh, the the TikTok platform. Um, but I think, as, as we've seen in the last couple of weeks, uh, each local state is taking a view as to how they treat their own um, constituents or t- citizens in that, in that state. And I think it's Utah now has uh, has put in place a blanket uh, uh, parental consent is required uh, for anyone under the age of eighteen, if I'm if I'm if I'm correct, um, and that's quite yes, an Arkansas draconian, has, has yeah, an Arkansas, yeah. right, yeah, yeah. But these are these are very you know headline making uh, interesting announcements, but we have seen uh, with access to porn how difficult it is to enforce any of this. So yes, great announcement from well, great. I don't know if you're in if you're in that sort of world, you you may think that's a really good thing, and clearly it's been very popular with certain groups uh, on the right of the of the US and indeed of of other countries, uh, but. Whether it's enforceable, honestly, I would be very curious to see how they're going to try to make this possible and how do you deal with, yeah, children who are don't have access to parental to you know parental guardianship. There are so many difficult issues with trying to control access to the internet unless you put, as the Chinese did, a big block on certain on certain sides. Uh, trying to create any form of gatekeeping for this side, uh, for any side, really, is very difficult. 
Well, this story is massive. Going to get, carry on, as we say, going to run and run. Um, we, we have to cut it short there and, and move on, but it's uh, a fascinating conversation. I love the idea of relying on 14-year-olds who just want to create videos of themselves dancing, uh, being uh, vigilant uh, about the security implications for their <laughs> for their um, federal government. Uh, well, that's... you know, you say this, Oliver, but it's actually quite, I think young, certainly teenagers, these are actually quite vigilant. They're much, definitely much more informed than, than older generations. Yeah, fair uh, and point. And why yeah. they may choose to make trade-offs between privacy and immediate gratification, uh, it doesn't mean they don't understand what trade-offs they make. In fact, I would I would argue most of them understand much better than their parents. Yeah, no, actually, you make a very good point. And as a mother of, I don't know, 15, 16 children, there's an awful lot. Um, uh, <laughs> that makes a, a lot of sense. So, uh, well, moving on, I'm going to come back to you, Claire, actually. Um, for only four... <laughs> That sounds like a hell of a lot to me. Uh, moving on, um, we've been talking about uh, this uh, phenomenon uh, which has got the blanket term retail media. Um, most people will have a vague notion about, about what that means. But uh, Claire, it would be great if you could give one of your legendary, crisp, clear uh, definitions of what this is and, and why this is making such a big noise at the moment. Yes, well, retail media, it's uh, everywhere at the moment, in, in, certainly in specialized press and, around, and mostly around people who look at the advertising industry. What is retail media? Well, if you are my sort of age, you remember, you know, the good old days when you would go into a supermarket and then at the end of the aisle would be a promotional display of something that clearly somebody really wanted you to buy. And that could have been a new product or either sometimes there was even a lady or, or a man uh, giving you little tasters to try it and there might be a price promotion, etc. And that was retail media for a very long time in bricks and mortar shops. It's those promotional things that you see in, in big, um, in mostly supermarkets, but also in bookshops and, and or, you know, uh, at booths, if you go and buy makeup or a beauty product, etc. Now, of course, uh, a lot of shopping has moved online and therefore retail media has moved online as well. And retail media in its, in its most understood form today is basically sponsored results on Amazon. So you will be looking for, you go to Amazon and look for, I don't know, USB-C charger. And the first five results will, will say very visibly sponsored results. Uh, and then you'll get a bunch of others. And if you click on one of the others, you or if indeed on any product, you will get that product and then if you start scrolling down fairly quickly you will see sponsored choices relating to your search or you know other users may have liked these things and all of these placements are paid for uh, and in a world where discovery is becoming more and more difficult uh, there's the sponsored the sponsor those sponsored bits on Amazon which are directly or on Amazon or and will come to that other retail media site which are directly linked to an intent to buy have become like gold dust. Uh, retail media is, is great on many ways. One, it tends to be in its purest form, very measurable. You, you know if it works or not, you get the click through, you can measure its impact immediately, whereas if you put a big ad in the tube, it's quite hard to know exactly what sort of impact it has on your sales. Now that's changing because retail media is expanding. It's not always specifically about the stuff you want to buy now. People are using it for brand awareness a bit more now. Uh, and indeed some bigger categories like cars, 
uh, or insurance are starting to use retail media because if people are looking for certain types of products in a certain type of site, they might be interested also in a car. And those are slightly more difficult to measure. Uh, but generally, it's it's much easier to measure. And uh, it, it um, rides on the wave of the explosion of e-commerce through the pandemic. And it's also riding on the wave of the deprecation of cookies, which doesn't mean that you can't eat cookies anymore, but it means that third-party data on sites that sites like Google used to used to sell is much harder to obtain and use, and will get harder to obtain and use. And retail media uses first-party data because it uses the data that is that the retailer on the site that you are has and 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 can control and can use because you've agreed to those terms and conditions. So it's it's much more uh, future-proof for a lot of advertisers. So retail media is massive, has become massive. Everybody's talking about it. Every brand is developing strategies for retail media. Of course, it's leading to, um, it's very concentrated. So Amazon has almost 40% of the market, for instance, in the US. And then the three or four big, retail chains which have an online presence like walmart and target have another almost 40 percent so here you are with 80 percent of the market controlled by very very few people because that's that's how uh, e-commerce works and um it's becoming harder because so many people are doing it and they're not doing it very well and it's it's going there's a risk that people get immune to it and stop looking looking at it but at the moment, it feels like the trend that everybody is jumping on when it comes to advertising, and it's suddenly getting a lot of a lot of press. And there are some firms um, that specialise in it. This is all they do, right? There are a couple of companies, so European-based ones like Critio. Uh, there's Tremor. There's Pubmatic uh, as well. I mean, these are all leading um, ad tech, advertising technology companies that started out with programmatic, programmatic advertising. So algorithm based um, uh, across uh, all, all all publishing sites and uh, social sites and or you know commerce sites uh, uh, like like Walmart um, and now they're they're heavily heavily specialising. Uh, Critio for one is just does I think retail media only, um, but Pubmatic and Double Verify, Tremor uh, they they span across all those different sets and tools, including programmatic. And you were talking earlier, Maureen, about, um, was it Benedict Evans talking about uh, Amazon potentially doing something dodgy uh, in, in, the, in, in the guise of retail media? Is that correct? Oh, I would never talk about dodgy. Oh, no. And I would never accuse Amazon of being dodgy. But maybe Claire uh, commented on that. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 would, I, no, I, think it, I think it would be, it would be unfair uh, to say dodgy. I think yeah. the beauty of retail media is that in areas where prices are regulated and Amazon may not be able to, you know, change the price of an item or manage, you know, manage the, the, the margin they make on an item, by bundling uh, a certain product with retail media, they may be able to get around the price, price transparency or price equality rules. Whether they do it, I don't know. But uh, it certainly makes things a little bit more opaque in the way pricing strategies may work. That being said, I mean, the, we just just to go back to the benefits of retail media for advertisers, if it works, retail media is hugely profitable 
it's much more profitable than any other form of advertising, you know, because you're basically advertising at a point where you know the consumer is interested in the product, you can measure its impact immediately, you can change if it doesn't work, you can, again, adjust the pricing if necessary, create promotions. I mean, you know, it is, it, it is effective and people will argue that it can create a good experience for consumers too, because they get pushed the right product at the right time in their, in their purchase journey, rather than random, you know, you search for one thing on Google one day and then for three months you'll serve that. I mean, I bought tickets for to show what I think is a brilliant show. Uh, in the theater, I've got to get from media and I'm going, I have the tickets. It's still serving me ads for that show everywhere I go on the internet. And I'm like, no, I, I've got the tickets. I've literally bought those tickets. I don't need to see this anymore. Of course, retail media doesn't do that because it will be very specific to what you've just entered in your, in your, um, in your search engine or where, where, you, where you are on your, on your search journey. So it's, it's a much more efficient way of, of both for the, the advertisers, but also for the person receiving the ad to be connected with products that they might want to use. But yes, it's, it's the bundling of media with, you know, listing is an area that hasn't really been looked at in, in detail. And Claire, does this transfer into in-store? Uh, for example, you know, the, um, uh, if you're walking around Waitrose and you open up your vouchers, I don't know if you have a Waitrose card, uh, but if you open up I your vouchers, if you open up your vouchers and you're walking around, you know, I see my, oh, I can get 50p off of uh, Charlie Bingham's lasagna. Yes, and and it, and it leads me to go and go and go and buy, even though it wasn't on my shopping list, you know, originally. I'm just wondering, it, that, do you think that's an extension of this type of marketing? It's in store as well, because I'm still, I'm still on my app. It's I'm so, still on my, on my. It's so funny that you were saying like this, because that that's the original retail media. That's how yeah. it started. I mean, you know, obviously it was paper vouchers rather than on the app. But it's no. that's absolutely, you know, that's how that's exactly what retail media used to be. Uh, it was in store as well. I think what you're uh, maybe alluding to, and that's the great, potentially great competitive advantage of, of those big shops like Waitrose or Walmart, et cetera, is the, is the mixed media experience where you're doing, you're doing something, you're searching something on walmart.com, but then when you go into the shop, it knows that you've looked for that, so it will serve you the right voucher at the right time. And so connecting these two experiences, if it's done well, can be can be very interesting for the both for the users again and of course for the shop and create loyalty for the shop so you know it's one of these things where potentially this could work for the advertisers could work for the shop and it could work for the users this is if everything works well it's interesting actually that it's very similar to a, a funny enough a project that arthur d little delivered for a entertainment gambling company where the online experience and the retail experience came together in one so that they knew a lot more about their customer and um and what they what they wanted um very interesting um this by the way edition of the media beat is brought to you by charlie bingham's lasagna and uh, i don't know jamie oliver's fish pie <laughs> or, or, or whatever i'm expecting a crate of charlie bingham's best uh being delivered to my home uh the historic dockyard chatham uh, charlie if uh, if you're listening um we, we have to move on to in the news uh if that's okay um, a few things going on, which um, I can't wait to hear your opinions about. Um, let's start with you, Claire, and um, yep, Amazon's content strategy. 
What's uh, what's going on there? Well, there was a very there was a very negative article about Amazon content strategy in the it was the Hollywood Reporter, I think, uh, specifically targeted us at you know and I guess when you're in these big jobs you 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 have to assume that you're gonna be the face for it but Jennifer Salke who is the head of content for Amazon I don't know exactly what her title is uh was was very much pinpointed as the reason why the Amazon content strategy doesn't work it was talking about the Lord of the Rings being a huge investment with um ultimately disappointing results although we don't have a lot of data but from the little data that that we have you know people didn't complete the episodes uh there was a sort of sense that amazon uh commissioning strategy wasn't very focused it was very uh, it was very uh, talent driven so you know there was a, a sense that, that you know a, a lot of the stra- the criticisms that were there were sent Netflix way for many years, actually, that, you know, the, it, all you needed was a big name and you'd get a commission and then it wouldn't work because it wasn't done properly, etc. I am not sure I agree. I thought it was a very negative article. I think it's definitely true that Amazon's content strategy has been less direct less focused than other streamers i wouldn't say necessarily less focused than netflix because that's also a very weird strategy in many ways uh and uh but i think they've had some notable success i think they have done a really good um good thing in backing original creators and occasionally taking risks uh they have done some really innovative things that others haven't done they've stood by content creators when Netflix hasn't necessarily done so. So I thought that was I thought that was a bit harsh on good old Jennifer Salka, who I absolutely don't know, by the way. That being said, you know, if if she keeps not bringing in viewers, and again, I don't know what the data is, um, you know, I don't know how long she'll keep her job because that's Hollywood, maybe. <laughs> nice one. What's what's your view, Maureen? Uh, well, I see, I, I give... I give more credit to Amazon now with their film slate. Um, and, I, and I think there they should be applauded and will be applauded, actually. And there'll be some really interesting films um, with MGM launched uh, in this quarter, as, as well as it will continue in the next couple of quarters. So, but, 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 but in terms of their TV content strategy or their um, episodic strategy, I, I'm very much aligned to uh, Claire's thinking there. I think it's not been it's not been too successful and you know usually with these high powered jobs high profile jobs you know the uh uh, uh you know it, it falls to one person sadly and I, and i think she's getting uh, she's getting that type of treat jennifer's getting uh pushed around a bit yeah um it's it's slightly unfair but uh i think it's potentially justified in terms of it's not been great so yeah, yeah, and with so much fantastic IP like Lord of the Rings, which they, I'm afraid to say, probably did overpay, uh, you you would have expected uh, much more, and it's uh, it's not coming through. Yeah. And talking of IP, Maureen, you were you were talking about the Association of Online Publishers, and they have a beef with IP firms. Could you explain a little bit more about that? Yeah, well, the, well, the beef is with um, uh, third-party advertising technology companies. Um, actually, yeah, it's an open letter uh, that um, basically is uh, calling out 
uh, copyright infringement potentially, allegedly. Um, so uh, as Claire alluded to earlier, um, Google's uh, cookies uh, uh, will deprecate um, uh, perhaps in 2024, uh, but we don't know. It keeps moving and they keep sort of kicking the can down the proverbial alley there. Um, but they, um, uh, Google will uh, stop uh, uh, cookies and all these companies that scrape uh, content um, and data across all many you know, websites, including publishers' websites, so online publishers' websites, uh, will we, we'll stop. So what, what's happening at the moment is publishers are saying that the integrity of their IP is being uh, abused. Um, and by that, they're suggesting that in this new era of generative AI, uh, where, where scraping is potentially happening as we speak, and by that, you know, information has been taken from many corners of the internet, these third-party ad tech companies are doing something similar, allegedly, um, and not basically paying for the use of uh, that intellectual property. So that information, that content is being used to contextualize uh, certain data and certain information about um, us folks who are roaming around the internet. Um, and third-party companies, uh, ad tech companies, are selling that to advertisers. Um, and, and the publishers are saying, that's not theirs to sell. This is ours. So that's, uh, that's, a, that's the beef. Um, online publishers have banded together and said something has to be done about it. Um, now, uh, not quite sure how this will pan out, but certainly they're, they're calling it to, to, to account. Um, now, the third party ad tech companies are, are going to have problems with their business models going forward anyway. Um, this is just another uh, little dig. Um, so we'll see how, uh, whether there'll be a shakeout of, of, of the industry for those types of types of companies. But that's the beef, yeah. I kind of feel like she's nailed it. I mean, we'll, we'll see what, it, it, it's slightly surprising in that it's quite unusual to see publishers rebelling against their advertisers. So they must be quite pissed off is all our little comments <laughs> yes. on it. And it, because, you know, it's obviously, it's, it's you know, biting the hand that feeds you as it were. And they, they really need those vendors and advertisers, but they must feel that this has just gone too far. It's also very hard to stop. As, as Maureen said, I'm not entirely sure how enforceable any ban would be, but it's 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 an interesting move and certainly one that's been that's been picked up quite a lot. So they'll be happy at least with the coverage it got, um, if not with the impact. And there's also been a, a an a unexpected, I guess, um, uptick in the performance at theatres as well recently. So uh, people quite enjoying the experience of having Coke dribbled on them and popcorn stuffed down their necks rather than sitting in the comfort of their own homes with their widescreen TVs. Um, Maureen, is there uh, any sort of explanation uh, for this uh, good performance of theatres in, in the first quarter of 2023? There is indeed. There is indeed, as there always, always is. And this is this is a topic that we love, uh, and that is um, uh, the idea that theatres are still relevant, cinemas for all us Brits. Um, yes, so we've had uh, uh, now, it looks like probably 28 films will be released in Q2, um, and that compares to only 15 films last year. 
Um, and, and as, uh, and as uh, Steven Spielberg says, that uh, Top Gun, Maverick, uh, probably saved, uh, uh, saved, well, yeah, probably saved cinemas. Um, you know, people started to flock back to cinemas post-COVID. Um, we're now seeing um, several films uh, that in, indeed probably will entice families back into the into the theatres. We saw that over the Easter um, holidays uh, last week uh, with Super Mario. Yes, Super Mario. What a great, what a great film. What a great game. Um, so uh, Universal has taken the um, IP from Super Mario Brothers game, uh, probably the most popular video game of all time, and turned it into a film uh, with uh, uh, Seth Rogen and Chris Pratt uh, and Jack, uh, Jack Black, I believe, yeah, all um, leading protagonists in that film. And it, it, just, it just was amazing that the attendance um, and the box office, office numbers, the attendance were, uh, uh, theatres were, I'm going to say, the best we've seen since pre-COVID. Um, the first weekend got something like $147 million. Um, it probably will hit, the expectations are that it will hit $350 million and that will be the best and the top uh, most uh, grossing uh, 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 film in, in Q2. So, uh, and then we'll see the launch of several others. Uh, Renfield, which I can't wait. Renfield would be Nicolas Cage as Dracula comes to i mean i've seen clips of it it's absolutely amazing um really funny uh, a bit gory um but that's going to be a great film uh air i can't I, I i'm a basketball player basketball fan uh michael jordan's uh love affair with the nike brand um this is uh, matt damon and ben affleck uh film uh the um that's going to be really interesting so the then sort of rookie michael jordan uh an air, uh, which is the, uh, the 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 trainer, as we as we all know, Air Jordan brand. Um, that's going to be another film. So there's there's so many films, there's so many great films uh, that all the cinemas are feeling, I think, a lot better um, about themselves. And so good on good on the studios, good on Universal, good on Amazon for bringing another good quality uh, slate to the fore for for cinemas. So yeah, yeah. I mean, although. We also, at the same token, have seen, um, you know, the restructuring and refinancing of, of Cineworld, which is, I think, almost almost complete. Um, they've cut the debt now by two billion. Um, uh, they're trying to sell the UK and Ireland, can't do so. Trying to sell the US businesses, as I understand, can't do so either. So perhaps with this new production um, uh, film slate coming to the fore, this might aid the, the survival of Cineworld as well. So um, so let's see. Um, but I'm really pleased uh, to see so many great films coming through. You do love your movies. Well, I'm very pleased. I mean, I would. I don't know if I would call Super Mario or Super Mario movie, <laughs> although apparently it's quite good. It's not the first Super Mario movie, obviously. Uh, no. But yes, I think what's interesting about Super Mario is that we really validates Universal's strategy of not going streaming first, and in fact, of pushing theatrical, uh, and, uh, especially for their kids' movies, which is something that has put, you know, they have stuck to for, for a long time, and indeed seems to eventually now be paying off for them. Although actually, they've had they have had some really good success beforehand. 
Um, I there are two other news items that that play in favor of theaters. Apple has said that they were going to invest in movies to be released in theaters first, uh, which is uh, an interesting strategy. And Bob Iger's moving away from streaming first and thinking that actually theatrical releases have a really important role to play in Disney's uh, release mix, which I think will be a hugely beneficial thing for theaters. So yes, Apple and Bob Iger coming to the rescue uh, alongside the other players, but also, as Maureen was saying, still very difficult times for a lot of cinema chains. So it'll be interesting to see how they how they manage to survive. I suppose this plays into the debate on theatrical windows that we've um, covered a couple of times on the podcast as well. The sort of the tuning of what the um, the optimum uh, window is for theatre. How interesting, um, David Zazlan. Can I just say something on on the, on 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 theatricals? I think Universal is doing something really interesting there, which is which is making the windows overlap. So they are they tend to keep their family movies as in the cinema, as well as making, as soon, even when, when they become available on VOD or certainly on premium, premium VOD, uh, which is, I think, maybe where the future lies. It may not be, there may not be separate windows anymore. There, there may be much more overlap going forward. So David Zaslav, um, he's the boss of Warner Brothers Discovery. Um, he has been putting out some interesting content. It's not that he's been putting out interesting content. It's that there's been a very positive, you know, talk poor, poor Jennifer Salker had a bad week. David Zaslav had a good week in the in the media. Uh, David Zaslav has had quite a few bad weeks in the media, and we talked about it, I think, at the very beginning of the podcast about a year ago when he first took over Warner Brothers Discovery after the merger, and he stopped a bunch of movies, and he started to cut costs, and he laid... Uh, laid off a lot of people, and uh, he got himself a pretty bad reputation in the market. And actually now, and this was all in a big Financial Times uh, review of his time, I think it must be his one-year anniversary in the job or something along those lines, he comes out as looking quite good. First of all, he preempted a lot of the layoffs that did in, happen in all of the other major studios. I mean, Matt Disney ended up doing a big round of layoffs. And he, he did that first and therefore was in a much better position already. Secondly, once he had done everything that now people are saying, you know what, actually, uh, maybe he was right. and Maybe he did need a big cleanup. He took a lot of very difficult decisions. And we said that at the time, I should say. Uh, we took a lot of very difficult decisions very, very quickly early in his tenure, uh, closing down the CNN, um, the CNN streaming platform, closing down a bunch of movies that were finished and writing them off as, as um, tax credits and, and, and closing down a number of the kids project and, and then the layoffs. And now a year later, it's while, let's be clear, Warner Brothers Discovery is still you know, very, very much in debt and has uh, quite a lot of challenges ahead. He had people are saying, "Well, look at that! It's actually much more robust and stable than it was a year ago." So, good week for David Zaslav, I think. Yeah, and I think he had a really challenging job um, because there's two completely distinctive cultures. Uh, Warner Brothers, you know, very much a kind of like you know, uh, uh, sort of high end, highly paid. <laughs> um, you know, very film-centric business versus Discovery, which is kind of lean and mean um, and, uh, you know, very much sort of docu-series or, you know, uh, 
maybe you know really good programming, uh, but maybe not as uh, as high end. And um, and to bring those two cultures together, phenomenal. I interviewed earlier in the year um, a senior vice president um, of uh, Warner Brothers Discovery, uh, Katie Coleman, and, uh, and she was describing how uh, Zaslav was very much focused on those that cultural integration of becoming one team, you know, and and the challenges that they faced, you know, high expense accounts at Warner not so high at discovery and just really making sure that it, it's a seamless and one very challenging job to do so so yeah i i think it, he should be applauded now for you know sticking it out um and and achieving some uh some really you know difficult you know difficult he made some difficult decisions um and stuck with it and i think he's seeing the uh, the fruits of that um so good no good on david good on david thanks maureen thanks claire and that is in the news. Uh, so we now move on to the long-awaited, uh, the fans' favourite. It's lightning fast pod mojis, or indeed sound effects, or indeed quite a involved mime. Uh, however, however you want to do it. Um, so let's go through these. We're going to start off with uh, Claire, and we're going to start off with theatres. And that's theatres in the sense of cinemas. Uh, yes, I, I'm going to go half and half on theatres. I think good news, but also bad news. I think what will emerge is a slightly smaller industry with specialised chains and maybe the whole big, big multiplex era is behind us. I don't know. I'm not as bullish as Maureen on theatres right now. As we will now find out, Maureen theatres bullish. Yes, indeed. Uh, I, <laughs> I I love theatres, and I and I'm I'm praying that they will continue. But I agree with um, I agree I agree with Claire. I think I think um, you know the restructuring, uh, the resizing uh, is is happening, and will continue to uh, cinemas will have to go down that track. Uh, but at least the uh, slate of content or the you know the, the number of films coming through is is really encouraging. And hopefully that will get uh, bums on seats and people back into the theatres or cinemas. So yeah, I'm long. I'm long on on on, on theatres, cinemas. Very difficult for someone with the delicate features of Maureen to pull off um, anything resembling a bull. I have to say, uh, very tricky <laughs> job indeed. I'm going to go back to Claire actually on um, Endeavour and the UFC um, deal. Yeah. So Endeavour merged WWE and UFC. Ari Emanuel and is is running the new venture. This is good. We talked a lot about sports and how to get sports fans last uh, in the last episode with Jeff. I think WWD has done some really great things. I think there's a lot of overlap in the fan base. We will we will have to see. I don't know. Uh, I don't. I I can't get very excited about it. But I'm gonna go yay. I really can't understand why people like UFC, which is real, and WWE, which is theatre. I, I can't understand why anyone would like both. It's, it's one or the other. It's baddies versus goodies, or it's proper fighting. Anyway, sorry, Maureen, uh, UFC and the Endeavour deal. Uh, yeah, I got, I, yeah, so this is, this is really a big statement by Ari uh, to say we are definitely a sports company so for sure but I, I agree with you. I've never really this is this is clearly anecdotal I, I've never really understood wrestling and it is as you say Oliver it's theatre I mean the only wrestling I really like would be sumo wrestling and as I asked Jeff last time you know will we see this come back I love sumo wrestling <laughs> I understand it it's got it's got great 
It's got grace. It's got <laughs> grace. <laughs> in the, it's got in heritage. <laughs> it's got heritage. Grace, though. History. It, it is. It does. It's got you know. It's got rules. It's it, it's just. It's wonderful to watch. <laughs> it's got the grace of two walruses fighting. You you get you, with walruses. You're just like, oh golly, can we just get this over with? Kind of thing when two. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? I think it's okay. wonderful. So, so uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm long. I'm no, no. I, what did I say? Yeah, yeah. They definitely is a sports company. Uh, good for them. Good for them. That's what I say. <laughs> and the delicate. Grace I think there's, there's overlapping sponsorship and I, and sponsors. There's overlapping in audiences. Uh, it's not really overlapping in the in the actual content, but that might, that may not be a huge yeah. problem. And I also think we talked about the fact that being a mid-sized sports is becoming increasingly difficult. So I see the advantage of of the merger. But yeah, time will tell. Okay, moving on. Maureen, um, knitting slash crochet. Crochet. I said put croquet then. Now that is a sport. Croquet, my golly, the nuances, the grace. Um, No, crochet and knitting. Uh, I guess no one's going to be surprised that we're commenting on that today. Maureen. No, no. So uh, um, I I hadn't appreciated that uh, almost everybody now knows that that Claire uh, uh, crochets uh, as as on all video casts on 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 all meetings at at all meetings uh, uh, virtual, and and she does it for good reason and. and I think it's amazing, and I, and I like to see some of her. And she wears some of her tops as well that she's that she's made. But but I, I stumbled across um, a fantastic empirical based article um, over the weekend, and I and I and I sent that across to to, to, to Claire to validate what is she, she's doing is absolutely important and vital. So um, you, you, I'm going to leave Claire to talk about it as as she is the. Uh, as she is the the crocheter, if that's such a word. Um, um, I don't knit. I, I can't. Okay, crocheter, crocheter. <laughs> She's a crocheter. She's a crocheter. Um, but uh, yeah, it, I, I think this is gonna. I think it's gonna take off. I think you're gonna see everyone now under the under the desk, you know, crocheting or knitting. Um, yeah, Claire. Yeah, I mean, please. I think that there's there's some scientific evidence that that doing something that uses the sort of lower parts of your brain uh, stimulates the higher parts of your brain and allows you to think better. And that's, you know, that's the typical when you're in the shower is when you get your best ideas or if you go for a run or, you know, those, those, that's the same, the same thing where your body is engaged in doing something that it can do fairly automatically. And it allows the thinking bits of your brain to become more abstract and perhaps better. Certainly for me, it works. So I was delighted when Maureen sent this article from the New York Times, which entirely validates my the last two years of my life, uh, which is good because my kids are getting a bit bored with the number of blankets that are getting produced every couple of months. But uh, yes, crochet or knitting or anything that occupies your, your hands but not your brain, and I'm going to stop there, uh, is a good thing to do uh, when you're on video calls. Brilliant. And one of our colleagues, Oliver, or Oliver, one of our colleagues, if they, they shall remain nameless, um, takes a pack of cards and he, um, he, he, he twiddles, he plays with the cards un- underneath the, uh, the, the, the desk as well and for the same reasons. So he like shuffles them or flicks them or, 
you know, those nice tricks with your fingers and the cards. So it's, it's amazing wow. to see. Um, oh, I'll find yeah, out who that is. Yeah. Can you do the thing where you cut the deck with one hand or you shuffle with one hand? That's always very Yeah, good. yeah, he does. Wow. He does all that, yeah, yeah, he does all that. I have yeah. to confess, yeah. I'm a knitter. I knit. Um, I was mock Oh, soundly. yay! Yeah, as a young boy, uh, maybe 10, 12 years old, growing up in Yorkshire, very unusual occupation um, for people who are mostly playing rugby union and cricket, but I love a knit. Yeah, absolutely. It, it feels good. And you're creating something. And uh, um, I don't think I'm anywhere near as skilled as you, Claire, because you actually build real clothes. But yeah, totally into this idea of... Um, um hands doing something at the same time as your brain is doing something it makes perfect sense lovely um let's move on so getty the image people the photo people another beef and this is a beef with um firms like stability ai and stable diffusion um so uh in a podmoji how would you how would you express the beef let's start with that i'll start with maureen well uh, the pod oh yeah the podmoji now you're gonna have to just hear me rather because my camera's off um <laughs> okay. yeah so this is all about cop this is all about copyright uh, infringement. <clears throat> so um, I'm I'm looking aghast. Uh, I've got my spectacles on. Yeah, <laughs> it's much harder when we don't see you, Maureen. I'm suddenly feeling quite bad for all the podcast listeners who had no idea what you were doing. Um, You're gazing well, uh, in the mid distance. Okay. Yeah, I'm, 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 uh, here we go. My, my, my brow is thorough. It's, uh, I am mm, quizzical. I am intrigued by this uh, and the outcome, the, the outcome of this, uh, uh, two sets of legal cases, which will be in the UK for stability AI and in the US for stable diffusion. I am really intrigued as to, as to the outcome of those two cases. Quizzical will do, Claire. Yes, I mean, quizzical is probably a good way to put it. It'll be it'll be interesting to see what the legal case is. The problem, of course, is if those two image generator have returns have used Getty images uh, to build their systems. You can't remove them once they're in the system. You'd have to rebuild the engine from scratch, which would take three years. So the, the, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of it. What I am definitely hearing is a lot of companies telling their employees do not put stuff in chat gpt even to get a rewrite so you know don't put the the copy for the board paper in chat gpt to get a better right you know better version of it because once it's in there it's in there uh and the the whole idea of and people are in fact creating closed walled garden versions of chat gpt for that reason so i think there is a, a slowly but surely an understanding of the risks, the IP risks linked to these systems, which, you know, then it's not, it's not uh, evil. It's just the way they're built. They just use everything. It's like, a, you know, a puppy eating everything it finds. That's what they do. That's what computers do. And people forget that. They do what they're told. Uh, Lemonade. This is the penultimate one. Lemonade. I'll come back to you, Claire. Yeah, I'm not sure about Lemonade. Maybe I'm being too negative. I, I think it's a little bit of a... I had, I mean, I asked my, my, my various and large brood and they'd never heard of it. And I know it's a very small sample, but I, I don't know that it's necessarily going to take off quite as quickly as people expect. I'm going to reserve my judgment on it. I'm, I'm going with the doubtful emoji. Yeah, I've got it. Oh, beautiful. And that's excellent. That's, uh, again, the French heritage of mine and physical comedy coming out in you. Uh, uh, Maureen. Uh, I, I'm going with thumbs up because I I, I, I think this is going to take off 
I think this is uh, I think this is going to be pushed uh, quite hard by uh, by dance and just looking at the downloads uh, so far um, uh, in UK and the US looks pretty strong. So I'm just going to be contrarian. Thumbs up, contrarian. And with my nose is up as well. My my nose is up as well. My nose is up to say, Claire, I'm being contrarian. So, and what are you going to do? Thumbs about and this? nose up. Yeah. Nose yeah, up. Exactly. My nose what is up. What am I going to do about yeah. it? <laughs> it's funny. Um, it's funny with young people. You wonder whether a they're young, so they want to try something new. But then there's a sort of well, everything's on TikTok, and I like TikTok, so uh, it's uh, going to be interesting. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, exactly. There isn't an inertia. We'll see. We'll see. And finally, Amazon. And let's start with uh, Maureen. Amazon. Amazon. I love Amazon. Um, yeah, I've got a big heart. <laughs> I, my heart's pumping. This is my... It's a pump, 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 pump. I love Amazon. Got it. Yeah. And films. Claire? I love films. Well, I think Amazon's a story of... Uh, of uh, well, it's a very... It's a story with multiple strands. We've talked about their utter dominance of retail media and where that's going to end. Uh, and we've also talked about their slightly disappointing content slate, certainly non, non-movie side on Prime. I mean, you know, they're not going anywhere. They are massive. Apparently, retail media is now bigger than Prime in terms of revenues, by the way, for Amazon globally. It's just happened in last year. So uh, who, yeah. They are reinventing themselves yet again into a, into a massive ad broker. So we, we shall see. Yes, I believe in Amazon. I'm not, I'm not quite as big a fan as Maureen seems to be. But uh, yeah, they're not going anywhere. Yeah, a lot of the companies, I always remember IBM looked a bit shaky, then that reinvented itself. Microsoft looked a bit shaky, yeah. then they reinvented themselves. And, and now I guess it's it's Google and Amazon. Okay, Google, uh, Google, Google, I don't know what that word was. I think it was a cross between Google and cool. But let's go cool. Uh, that's the end of um, Lightning Fast. That's the end of the episode. What a bumper one. Um, we've stacked in loads of stuff. I always wonder whether we're going to have enough to talk about. And then we go on and on and on. And it's, uh, it's all fabulous <laughs> stuff. Um, but we're through. We have... Um, a special guest next time again we're just going to tease we're not going to say who he or she is um but it's going to be a biggie next week so um please um make sure that you um uh, say save time to uh, listen to that one for for now we have to say goodbye uh, and i will say goodbye first to uh, claire and thank you very much for your brilliant uh, contribution today claire goodbye oliver and of course maureen farewell Excellent words of wisdom as ever. Uh, goodbye, Maureen, and see you soon. Farewell. Thank you, Oliver. Uh, can't wait till next time. Really enjoyed that one. Thanks, everyone who is listening. Please like and subscribe, of course. Even comment if you like. Uh, positive, go to me. Uh, negative, go to uh, Maureen. And uh, <laughs> that will be perfect. But no, seriously, it will be nice to hear your feedback on your likes and your subscribes. Until then, uh, we wish you a good time and see you on the next one. Bye-bye.